0: Man, it was a great day yesterday. Thanks, guys, for everybody that came out. And uh, there were more people than we could count that came through and showed up to get blessed, to just get some candy, get a touch of uh, God's love in the community. It was amazing. And uh, on the screen there, it says Thanksgiving weekend update. So if you couldn't hear uh, what Andrea was saying, I was going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, I was praying, and I was feeling like there's something about body is supposed to be active how many of you know your your physical body is healthier when you're active when when we're not just sitting at home sitting on the couch eating all the leftover halloween candy nobody did that right we're we're still not yet (laughs) it was just yesterday there's still mounds of candy at our house in fact i should have some candy out for you guys because we've got leftovers here at the church um which some of the best ones may have found their way into my office uh Anyway, uh, at the, the last weekend of November, we are going to be active. Because when I, when I was hearing God talk about the body's healthier when it's active, I was really seeing a picture of reaching out to others. And I feel like that's something, we as churches haven't been meeting over the summer and different things have been happening, the lockdowns and all that, uh, we're at a place, honestly, when I talk to other pastors and I find out what's going on in the city, what's going on in our churches, we're at a place where we're just struggling to figure out how do we get people to connect in the church? How do we stay in relationship? How do we fellowship? How do we do those things? Let alone knowing that the next step beyond that that we're all called to is not just to connect with each other, but to reach out to the world around us. How many of you know there are still people that need to hear the gospel? And that's part of what we're called to do. That's part of the church being active is getting outside of ourselves and sharing our faith however we do that. Whether, Whether it's physically distanced right now or going out with the people that we know and reaching out to them praying for them reaching and loving them right where they are whatever it is we're supposed to be active so the last week in November is Thanksgiving weekend Uh, November 28th is the date we are not going to have an in-person service here in this building because we're going to do an outreach that day Uh, if whatever you normally do on Sunday mornings when we're not gathering here in this building make a plan with your family. Go to breakfast. Go visit another church with your friends. I'd love you to come back to this one afterwards, though. But (laughs) what we're going to do that weekend is we're going to deliver holiday care packages to people that are shut-ins, people that need uh, help over the holidays. We populated that list with a bunch of people from our food pantry in the West End, and some different people have been giving names to say these people could use help during the holiday season so the ways that we're gonna have where you could be involved with that uh, there's a couple different outreach opportunities if you're wanting to be distanced from people you're gonna be able to give financially or to donate products we're gonna give you a list during the month of November of what's gonna be in those care packages another outreach opportunity is gonna be we're gonna have a date where we're all gonna to gather together and actually assemble all those packages and get them ready to go to people's homes and the most exciting Part of the outreach, if you would like to volunteer for this, would be to deliver a care package to somebody's home. Uh, I've not yet, I, I've done some deliveries for food pantry before. I have not yet seen anybody that gets upset at you or doesn't want to see you when you're coming to their home to bring them something to give them. Come on, you, if if the people show up just knocking on the doors, I've got this tract I want to hand in your face, or I'm, the Jehovah's Witnesses come, they get the door slammed in their face. But when you come saying, I've got something to give you that's going to help your life. People are happy to see you, and they want to hear what you have to say. So that is the 28th of November. So I'm just I'm giving you advance warning here that we won't be in this room that Sunday morning. We'll have something online. If your if your Sunday morning schedule and routine is so fixed that you say, "Hey, I gotta be somewhere Sunday morning at 10 a.m." We will have a service online or a devotional something for you to watch that morning. Uh, but we won't be here. We will actually be out being active in the community and the body getting a workout how many of you know the body could use a workout and that, i think there that'll preach in the physical and the spiritual so uh, thank you lord jesus for covering that and just being with us as we reach out to the community uh gosh i have a public service announcement for you right now for those of you that have been getting worked up about religion, politics, money, anything else that's been bothering you, uh please check this graphic with me. You are here. In the grand scheme of things, God is still on the throne and everything's going to be great because he is in charge, he's the lord of all. Let's let's not get so worked up by the physical temporal things happening right now in our little sphere of activity that we forget that Jesus is eternal, that there are things, there are heavenly things happening and uh that kind of, I saw that graphic and it led me to what I wanted to share this morning with you. I want to take a few minutes to talk about the most consequential election of our lifetime. How many of you have heard that phrase? How many of you have heard it too many times? Uh, they, that's a phrase you're hearing a lot lately. You can't, almost you can't turn on the TV without seeing it, but there is an important election to talk about, but I want to tell you it's not the one happening on Tuesday. The, the election that has already happened is way more important than the one that we get the privilege of voting in on Tuesday. And no, I'm, I'm not talking about the one that happened in 2016 or 12 or 8 or going all the way back. I want to talk about the most consequential election of our lifetime from Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. And this is what Peter wrote to the church. He said, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail. So he's talking about an election that happened to us. If you look at that verse, there's a couple words that are really important. Everybody say calling. And everybody say election. So a calling is literally an invitation. And if you study that word out in Scripture, it implies that you're being invited to a feast. Come on. How many of you know that the Christian life can be a feast if we're willing to receive Come on, there's a calling. We've been invited to something, and there is an election. And the word election there, it doesn't mean what we think it means sometimes. It simply means being chosen. By implication, you were the favorite. You got picked. How many of you remember back, uh, you've ever seen like a second grade teacher ask the kids, hey, who wants to be the front of the line to go to the lunch today? How many of those kids in that room raised their hand? Like, every, it's almost a fight. You have to be careful how you ask that question in some classes. That's the implication of calling an election. All those little kids in the second grade class, they're like raising their hands, pick me, pick me! Anybody in the room ever do that? Do you, can we, can anybody in the room remember that far back to being the the pick me person? That's the picture of what Jesus did. He gave us an invitation to come know him to be part of his family, to embrace us. And the proper response to Jesus' invitation is all of us, pick me, pick me. And do you know what? He does. He looked at us and said, yes. Any, anybody that wants to say yes to me, I've already said yes to you. I'm, look at your neighbor and say, you're the favorite. Man, sometimes we don't believe that, but Jesus loved us so much, he called us and he picked us. If you read through Scripture, there are several times in the New Testament that uh, writers refer to the church or the believers as the elect. And I'm not here this morning, I know there's a bunch of theologians that they have arguments about, well, who's in the elect and who, come on, like you can go all King James, you have to say King James voice when you talk about the, are you part of the elect? I'm not here to argue about, is the elect specific people, or who is it? In fact, my personal opinion is there was only one person that was elected, and his name was Jesus. And the moment we believe, we enter into Christ, and that makes us part of the people that he called and he chose. So I'm not here to argue about that, but I wanted to focus on what Peter says. He said, to make your calling and election sure. So there's, there's a, an invitation we've received from Jesus. We responded. He picked us. We're his favorite. But Peter says, make that sure. How do you do that? Uh, if you study that phrase, he says, make it sure. He's really saying, I want you to confirm and validate what's already true about you. Not asking you to earn your calling or your election, but I want you to demonstrate it. Live like you're the one that actually got picked. Live your life that shows that you've received these things. Uh, it's, it's like you graduate from college, and you tell everybody, look, I've got a degree. But your boss says, well, great, I like that piece of paper, but now show me what you know. Like, demonstrate it to us. And that's what Peter, when he says, make these things sure, you've received a calling and an election, he's saying, show us what you've already received. Live your life in such a way that it demonstrates it to others. And uh, the end of that verse, it, tell, it says we won't fall if we do these things. So if you want to be sure-footed in life, you don't want to stumble, do these things. And I'm looking at that verse and I'm like, do what things? I think that's great questions to ask when you're reading through Scripture and you see a phrase like that. When when you see, do what things, Peter? What are you talking about? Is it wear a Christian t-shirt everywhere I go? Does that make my calling and election sure? Sometimes we think it does. Like, hey, just because I've got the bumper sticker or the Jesus stuff, it, it makes my election sure. Uh, is it put a yard sign or a flag in front of my house that says I'm a Christian? Jesus lives here? Does that make our calling an election sure? Uh, just praying out loud before I eat every meal, is that what makes it sure? When Peter says do these things to make your calling and election sure, we need to back up a few verses and read what was he actually talking about before he got to the phrase where he said, make your calling and election sure. Uh, So here are the things that he was literally talking about when he said, do these things to demonstrate to the world that you belong to Jesus. Uh, And it's in 2 Peter first chapter, verse 5, is where we're going to start. And uh, he says, so devote yourselves to lavishly supplementing your faith. And I'll stop right there and say, he doesn't say work up your faith, earn your faith, Your faith is a baseline in this verse. It's already a given. He's assuming, I'm talking to people that know Jesus, this is how you should act. And he says, devote yourselves to lavishly supplementing your faith with goodness. And to goodness, add understanding. And to understanding, add the strength of self-control. And to self-control, add patient endurance. It's like a recipe, isn't it? You're, you're reading through and you're like, oh, do I have all the ingredients for this? And we're going along. He says, to patient endurance, add godliness. And to godliness, add mercy towards your brothers and sisters. And to mercy, abundant, uh, towards others, add unending love. And then he says this, since these virtues are already planted deep within and you possess them in abundant supply, they will keep you from being inactive or fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus more intimately. I thought that's pretty amazing that he says, you've already got these things, now make sure you increase them. Does that that make anybody else step back and say like, Peter, did you read what you just wrote in that verse up there? You said make every effort, add these things to your faith, develop them in your life. And then he turns around and says, because you've already got them in more quantities than you need. And I think the truth in there is we actually have everything we need to live the way that Peter is describing here because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. If you are a believer, you've already received everything you could ever need to live the fullness of a Christian life if we let it out. Can I say it that way? I think, I think everything in the kingdom, we were talking about how the kingdom functions and believing for it and expecting it, I think everything in the kingdom comes to us in seed format. Anybody anybody else garden? I skip the seed part. Anything we ever plant, I try to say, hey, how big of a pot can we buy for the amount of money that we have so that we already have a plant this tall instead of having to wait for the seeds to be planted? Does anybody else do that? It may work in the natural. You could go to Home Depot or Lowe's or Bednar's, wherever you like to shop for plants if you garden, and you can say... Give me the tallest plant. I've seen people pay to have full-grown trees that you have to reach your arms around the trunk like that, planted in their yard. I don't know if it's because they don't have the time to wait or what, but you can get as big a plant as you want. But in the kingdom, it doesn't work that way. God says, here's these seeds that you get to plant in your life. They're already in there. Now you get to nurture them. You get to water them. You get to let them grow and produce something in your life to let people see what's going on inside. Something that Jesus has already done on the inside and made true, it begins to grow to the point where other people can see it. Man, he says if you do these things, they will keep you from being inactive and fruitless. Man, I don't want to be inactive and fruitless. I would much rather be doing something that is part of a Christian witness to the people around me. Uh, in verse 9, he says, If anyone lacks these things, he's blind, constantly closing his eyes to the mystery of our faith and forgetting his innocence, for his past sins have been washed away. Now, there's, a, there's another translation that says, if you don't do those things, you're oblivious to the fact that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. Come on, we need to remember Jesus saved us that he made us a new creation, that he gave us the ability to stop living the life that was killing us and destroying us and hurting all the people around us, and he gave us the ability to do what Peter's talking about in this verse. There's there's seven characteristics in that verse because that's just how God rolls. Seven is the number of perfection, fullness, maturity. You see it throughout Scripture. There's a lot of sevens. You could go study it for ends upon ends yourself. But I'm just saying there are things here that show who's perfected, who's matured, who is God really living in and through, and they're already planted in us and we can develop them. We have more than enough of these qualities and the power within us to live that way if we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So reading that verse, the goal of living this way isn't just to be a good person. How many of you know people that that's kind of where they stop at their faith? They think, oh, well, I, I. I follow Jesus and I treat everybody nicely. Like, I've arrived. I wish I could even arrive at that point sometimes. The goal of developing those things in our lives is so that we can know Jesus better. Come on. A byproduct, a wonderful benefit for your friends and family is that he will make you a nice person. Come on, he will make you somebody that is pleasant to be around because he'll let all these things grow and develop in our lives. But that's not the end goal. The end goal is not, oh, I just want a better version of Chris so that Pam will be happier or Silas will be fulfilled and the girls will know that they have a good dad. Like, that's not the end goal. The end goal of doing these things is, Lord Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to be more intimately acquainted with you. I want to be the one that could be like the Apostle John and say, yeah, I'm, I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm his best friend. I lean back on his chest at dinner. Like, like I want to be that person that knows you. That's why we do these things, not just so we can say, hey, look how great we are. When you look at that verse of those things happening, uh A couple different things you could say, hey, that's a great picture of your faith unfolding for people. Oh, yes, goodness, brings understanding into my life, which then brings self-control, which brings patience. Like, that's a good way to look at. I'm a little more nerdy than that. So I like this picture I saw where somebody said, look at it as an equation. And for all of you people that aren't nerdy like me, I I see my engineers in the room are like, yeah, I like that. Everybody else is like, oh, math, yeah. This is great because you could look at it as an equation. When you have your faith, which is already a given in your life, it's a baseline, you add goodness to it, you get understanding. Like, oh, this is what we're supposed to be like. And you can move that equation over. When you add understanding and goodness together, you get self-control. Like, oh, this is why we do these things, and I want to be good to people. I have self-control now. You add understanding and self-control together, you start to get patience. Self-control and patience begins to produce godliness because that's what He's like, God is in complete and utter control of every decision he makes, and he's patient with us. Thank you, Jesus. Patience plus godliness makes you want to be merciful to people. Man, I I want to be merciful to everyone around me the same way he was to me. And then godliness plus mercy equals love. So that that was for all of my engineering friends. You could look at it in his equation. No matter how you look at that passage, those are the qualities that God wants to develop in our lives. That's how he wants us to treat one another. That's what he wants us to do. Acting this way shows and reminds others and ourselves that we belong to him. This That should be a testimony. When people follow us around as Christians, they should be able to tick off the things on that list and say, man, there's patience in his life. There's mercy in his life. That's a demonstration to the world that we belong to him. We've been talking a lot recently, thinking about our election. We've been talking about different party platforms. What do people stand for? What do they represent? When you're voting for them, what are you voting for? I will tell you today that this list we just read, that is the party platform of the Christian faith. That's what we are supposed to be standing for. That's what we're supposed to be developing in our lives. Jesus' agenda and ours should be to roll those things out in everyday life, in us, and want to see and help others around us develop those things too. Why does he want that? Why is that his platform for us? Because I think elected people have influence. There, there is There is going to be an election this week in our country, And there will be some people that will have a lot of influence over what happens because they got elected. We, as Christians, are positioned to have influence in people's lives because of our election. There's something about the Holy Spirit living in us and the witness we have. And uh, man, for those of you that are nervous about it, God, bless the election this week. Let there be peace in our land. Let people who actually remember what it means to be servants in public service get elected. Amen. That's, that is a good prayer to pray for that. And those people will have influence, but not nearly as much influence we have as ambassadors of the kingdom, of people who have been elected in Christ. And I want to challenge us during this season, what's coming up? I want to challenge us, how are we using our influence how are we taking what jesus has put inside of us and using it in the world around us because i just had this thought this week and this question popped into my mind if the expectations if the expectations and the behaviors of people in the world were driven by what people in the church are saying what would they be feeling right now if if the world reacted and expected things the way that we are communicating, what would they be expecting? Would they be hopeful and optimistic about the future? Would they be seeing good things coming down the road? Or would they be anxious and depressed? Come on, we have influence. And the report that we say, what we give our words and our agreement to, has power in other people's lives. And I want to challenge us today as people who have been elected, we have influence. How are we using it in the world around us? If the news reflected our expectations, what stories would they be reporting on? If the answer is not good news, then we may need to reevaluate what we're coming into agreement with and what we're reporting to people and the message that we carry. If you want to focus on bad news, there's plenty of places to find it. You can go all around, you can get some bad news to last you all week long, but we are called to be the outlet of good news. There is something about the message we carry that should give people hope. It should impart something to them. It should cause them to say, wow, I want to live a life that adds godliness and patience and self-control to my life. Good news, don't underestimate the power of what we say. What are we saying with our mouths? What are we coming into agreement to? Uh, just a quick story that I wanted to use to reinforce this. Here was a guy in scripture that needed to think about the report that he was carrying. Uh, before Jesus came and walked on the earth, before he was born, God communicated to his people through prophets. They were essentially people that carried God's message. And they told people, this is what God's saying. And there was a famous prophet named Isaiah. How many of you are familiar with Isaiah? Nice. I got a room full of people, not spelled like Isaiah, th- that comes to youth here. But Isaiah was a famous prophet and he had a vision of heaven being opened one time. He was was walking around, and all of a sudden it says, I saw the Lord in his glory. I saw the throne room in heaven. I saw smoke, glory, the whole thing. I saw God seated on the throne. There were angels flying around. And this is what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3. He saw these angels flying. He says, they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Watch this in verse 5, woe to me. Come on, is that the first thing we'd say? Like we're here in worship, we're we're in Jesus' presence, we're like, this is awesome, Jesus, we love you, this is fantastic. Isaiah sees a vision of Jesus, and he says, woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah came to this realization, I'm a man of unclean lips, how many of you know that doesn't mean Isaiah cussed a lot? He wasn't in the Israelite Navy. Like, he didn't have that kind of mouth. That's not what he was talking about. Isaiah came to a realization in that moment, my report doesn't match your report. The things I'm saying and giving my words to don't match what you're saying in heaven, God. And woe is me. Like, I'm undone because of my unclean lips. The truth that Isaiah heard in that passage was, the whole earth is full of his glory. How many times do we ever talk about things in such a way that people would get the idea that the whole earth is full of God's glory? That is is the truth. You know how I know that? Because there's no lying in heaven. And Isaiah just saw a picture of what's going on in heaven and the angels were declaring this to one another. The whole earth is full of his glory. Some of us, we need to have our unclean lips transformed. our, Our complaining doesn't agree with what The message of heaven is when, when he says the whole earth is full of his glory. And then we turn around and complain about what's going on or run our neighbor down or say something divisive and derisive about who's running for election. Come on. Those things don't match the report of heaven. We need to begin to speak in agreement with what heaven is saying. Uh, Isaiah's situation got rectified because one of the angels, it says, flew to him with a live coal in his hands that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Come on, this was so hot, the angel couldn't even grab it with his hands. He was using tongs to grab it. And he flew with this coal and he touched Isaiah's mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The altar always represents a place of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they literally burned the flesh of animals on this altar. In the New Testament, Jesus is our sacrifice. You will never go wrong with centering yourself back on what Jesus did and beginning to speak about him. That's, that is always the remedy. If I start complaining, if I start getting down the dumps, if I start saying things that aren't in agreement with heaven, I find that if I just get back to, okay, Jesus, what did you do? How, how big was what you did on the cross? How, how vast did you, was your salvation that got poured out in my life? You never go wrong with getting back to that place with what you're saying and declaring. I I think also in the New Testament, it equates sacrifices with our worship. How many of you know what we were doing in this room this morning is a sacrifice? Like the New Testament literally says a sacrifice of praise that we bring with our lips. If we want to change what we're saying and stop being so negative, one remedy is spend more time in worship. Just just begin to declare. Just begin to sing wherever. Where I don't know where your musical prowess is at home. Just start singing. Just start declaring. Just start rehearsing. Like you don't even have to sing. Maybe you're just saying things. Uh, just start rehearsing the goodness of God. Just worship him right wherever you are. And something begins to change in what we say and what we think and what we feel. And Isaiah saw this. Uh, The angel came, cleansed his lips in verse 8. It says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Can I tell you that changing our report and being people of good news positions us to be useful? I, I don't think it's too useful for the Lord to send a bunch of complainers out into the world. I think the world's already got enough of those. They don't need an extra handful from the church coming. But when we change our report, when we begin to worship, when we begin to come into agreement with what he's saying, when we begin to talk about Jesus and his goodness, that positions us to be useful. There is some building material that I can use now, the Lord says. So that's what I want us to do, is be mindful of what we're saying with our lips because we have influence, because we have been elected. So here's... Here's one thing I want to ask this week, and uh, I'm not asking you to vote for somebody or do anything. This is what I want us to do this week. Pray Jeremiah 33, 10, and 11. And I'm actually going to read it, so you don't have to memorize it. Or I go to these pastors' meetings sometimes, and uh, they'll say, Oh, what's on your heart right now? And you'll get some of these pastors. They sit in these meetings, and they'll just say, Jeremiah 33 and everybody in the room's like i have no idea what's in that chapter like i i have to go look it up but that's like sometimes that's how they roll is they'll just quote the verse and think oh that makes me sound more spiritual cuz everybody just nods like yeah that's a good one I'm going to actually put it on the screen. We're going to read it because this is what I want us to be declaring during this season of moving, not even so much the election season, just where is the church moving? Where are we going forward? Where are we reaching out to the world? What are our expectations? What is the report coming out of our mouth? Jeremiah 33.10 says, this is what the Lord says. You have said, this is a desolate land where people and animals have all disappeared. How many of you feel like you've heard that report? In the world this year. Like, where is everybody? They're not at the store anymore. They're not at church anymore. Where is everybody? They've all disappeared. That's what God's telling Jeremiah. That's what was happening. The people were saying, This is a desolate land. There's nothing going on here. There's no more prosperity. There's no more economy. There's no people even gathering. Yet, in the empty streets of Jerusalem, come on, this is God talking now. He just got done saying, This is what, (laughs) I don't know, I hate that phrase. When, when somebody says you people, like, like we're not all part of each other when they say you people, but I almost hear God saying that. This is what you people have been saying, but this is what I'm saying. He says, Yet in the empty streets of Jerusalem and Judah's other towns, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and laughter. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will be heard again, along with the joyous songs of people bringing thanksgiving offerings to the Lord. They will sing, Give thanks to the Lord of heaven's armies, for the Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. For I will restore the prosperity of this land to what it was in the past says the Lord. How many of you can hear the voice of the Lord saying that to us even today? And that's where we need to get to. He's saying, hey, this is what your report was, but this is what I'm saying. And I don't know about anybody else, but I would rather come into agreement with what he's saying. I want to get on that page instead of asking God, oh, woe is me. Come be a part of it. Can you please come over? Like I want to see what he's saying and say what he's saying to begin to declare things that have influence in people's lives because he's called me and chosen me and he's put his spirit inside of me and he's given over. Authority to us for the words that we speak, I would much rather come into agreement with his report. So this week, no matter what happens on Tuesday, no matter, well, if it even happens on Tuesday, no matter how long it takes for anything to happen. Let's not worry about that. Let's begin to declare this. God, you are worthy. You are the Lord of heaven's armies. We're going to give thanks to you, Lord. You are good. Your faithful love endures forever. Those are the things that should be coming out of our mouth because that's what changes the atmosphere around us. Let's use the influence we have in people's lives to point them here. Let's go ahead and stand in this place. Man. Whether you're here in person or you're at home watching this at some point, if you've never known that you've been called and chosen, I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus is calling your name. And he's already chosen you. He says, I just want you to come embrace me. Just receive the work I've done for you. I love you so much. I want to have a relationship with you. If you need to do that today, just right where you are, just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you went to the cross for me. Man, God, we come before you right now in this room as your people desperately longing to know you better and to come into agreement with the things that you want us to say and do. Lord, give us that strength. Lord, let us see the things that you've already deposited in us. Let us not use our words to complain and moan about the things that we don't have or what's not going right in our lives. Let us see that you've already given us everything we could need for life and godliness, that you've positioned us to have influence in this world around us, that you've given us the name of Jesus, which is the name that is above every other name that all authority in heaven and earth is wrapped up in your name and you've given it to us to speak and to declare. Lord, where people have said this land is desolate, we use our voices to say no. The voice of the bride and the bridegroom will be heard. Joyous singing will happen. You will restore and return the fortunes of our nation and our lives. Lord, let that be our cry for it to happen in our individual lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our cities, Lord Jesus. Let your name be glorified. We say that we honor you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Yeah, let's go ahead and sing right now. Yeah. for being ready to worship, for just pouring out your affection, your love on Jesus. Have a great week knowing that your words have power. And uh, (laughs) thank you, Lord. Bless us indeed as we go from this place. Let your goodness flow out of our lives to the people around us. Let our words change the atmosphere for the better. Let the good news of Jesus flow through our lives to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, let's give him one more hand.